Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. First John chapter 3 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are children of God now. This is God's word. What's the hardest part about being a Christian? I suppose there is a hundred million different ways that you could answer that, that Christians all over the world could answer that question. What's the hardest part about being Christian? But I think the hardest part, or one of, if not the most difficult part about being a Christian is this. It's to see this. It's to see, to know, to understand, to recognize who you are in Christ. This is who you are. You are God's children. You are dearly loved. And I think the hardest part is not only to see that, to understand it on an intellectual level, but to see that, to understand it, to recognize it, to know it in such a way that it aligns with every part of your life that it affects the way you think, the decisions you make, the way you talk to others, the way you talk to yourself. This is who you are. You are beloved. You are dearly loved by God as his dear children. That's who you are. And yet all too easily, we forget that. We live our life forgetting that but instead trying to answer the question, who am I, in so many different ways. Can I give you a picture of what that looks like? This is my life or maybe a timeline of my life. I was born in 1988, and if I live the average number of years that men in the United States live, that means I'm gonna go home to heaven around 2065. Not bad. And yet, that also means I only got 45 more years left. That's it. As you look at this, you might be focused on the dates and be, you know, now you know how old I am, but you're looking at this and now you know that you're either younger or older than me. And so that timeline, it's, it's gonna shift to the left or the right, depending on that. But it's really all the same. We all have just a short amount of time here on this earth. And during the days of our lives, one of the questions that drives us is, who am I? It's one of the questions that drive us because it keeps us going. And from very early on in our lives, we try to answer that question in so many different ways. We answer it by telling ourselves that I am what I have. I have money, I have possessions, I have friends and family, I have opportunities, I have education. This defines who I am. 
if it's not the things that we have, we define ourselves by what I do. I am what I do. I am this job. I am this title. I am this profession. And you think about your to-do list. It has such an effect on you that you are either a productive person or you're not based on how you did that day and the things you did that day. And we always wonder, do I do the right things? Do I do enough of the right things? This defines who we are. It's not the things that we do. It's the things that people say about us or the things that people think about us. Do they like me or don't they like me? What do they think of me? Am I really what they called me? Am I smart or am I not smart? Am I this or am I that? What did they say of me? What do they really think of me? This has a profound impact on us. And if we live our lives answering the question of who we are based on those things, our life doesn't look like this. It's not this steady, straight line, but, it, but instead it's this. It's this constant up and down. It's this constant zigzag. It's this static line moving back and forth always and forever because when I do good things or have good things or people say good things about me, I'm up here. I'm riding high. And yet when the opposite is true, when I'm no longer able to do the things I want or the things that I do are not good, I don't have the things I want and the things that people say about me aren't good, well, then I'm down here. So instead of knowing who we are, our life is this constant back and forth. It's this constant emotional roller coaster of highs and lows. We're always trying to define who we are by changing circumstances, by changing abilities, by changing things that people say about us in our lives. And all we try to do is survive. We try to hold on to what we have. Our entire energies of our lives are, trying, are spent trying to just stay above the line. We call it surviving holding on to the reputation and the good name that we want to have or we think we need, holding on to possessions or holding on to capabilities that we have. And yet we know there will always be an end. An end is coming and it's called death. Every person who's ever lived his faith face death. And when you're dead, you're done. You're dead. And all of the things that we define ourselves by in this life, things that we, that we use to filter out the question of who am I, well, they come to nothing. Because when you're dead, no one talks about you. When you're dead, you don't have anything. And when you're dead, you're dead. You can't do anything. So we spend our entire life asking these questions, trying to define ourselves, our image, our identity based on who I am, what I do, what I have, what other people say about me. And to that list of three, we can add two more. That I'm nothing more than my lowest moments and I'm nothing less than my highest moments. These five lies of identity or, or self-image, they were, they were put on paper and put in front of us by a gentleman named Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen was a 20th century theologian, professor, and one of the foremost authors, Christian authors of the 20th century. And he spent the majority of his life work focusing on the intersection, the intersection of theology and psychology, 
especially as it relates to the question of who am I? What's my identity? What's my self-image? He listed out these five lies because they're lies that we tell ourselves or that our culture feeds to us. And the amazing thing that stands out to me as I look at this list of lies is that even though these were first written about a quarter century ago, they still hold true today. In fact, in some ways, in the age of social media and the age of digital technology that we experience and connectivity constantly, perhaps more than ever, these are lies that we tell ourselves. Another thing stands out too. And that's that all of these lies are addressed multiple times in Scripture. Scripture has plenty to say about each of these lies. And so it seems, or so it is, that our God cares very much about the way we think of ourselves. Your God, who calls you to be who you are, cares very, very much about the way you think about yourself, the way you identify yourself. Your God cares about your self-image. And so it is throughout this month of October, we're gonna walk through each one of these lies. We're gonna unpack them and we're gonna debunk them from God's word and see what God has to say about your self-image. We're gonna build a self-identity based on the way that God wants you to see yourself. This morning, we're starting with the lie that I am what I have. We're gonna be talking about the things, the stuff that we have, whether it's financial, investments, bank accounts, possessions, house, car. But we're also gonna be talking about the things that we have that are less tangible. Education, opportunity, your body, your looks, your health. These things that we so often hold on to, these things that we desire and want to have, that end up defining us. As we look at that, we're diving into 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 6. I want to invite you to open up your devices or Bibles to that now, and let's read it. The Apostle Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor, when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. 
Every culture, every context, every country in the world has what we would call maybe moral or spiritual blind spots, weaknesses. Some of these blind spots are, are more sneaky and don't really show up, but some of these cultural blind spots are more apparent. Everyone sees them, everyone knows them, and yet nothing changes. For a long time, materialism has been a vice for Americans. Whether you're Madonna or whether you're Mother Teresa, everybody knows that materialism is a problem. There is this obsession to have stuff, to accumulate more stuff. And it's such an obsession that we come to define ourselves by it, by the things that we have. And that's it, the real, real problem with this lie that I am what I have. It affects everybody. It affects those who are wealthy and it affects those who are poor. It affects those who health, material, physically have a lot of stuff or don't. It affects the haves and the have-nots. So let me ask you, whether it's financially, educationally, relationally, how are you doing? How is your health? I think for many people, it's going well. Things are quite all right. We live in one of the wealthiest, most prosperous nations in the world. For a lot of us, we have a, a number in our bank account that we're proud of. Sure, it's not going to put us on the Forbes list of the world's wealthiest people, but you've worked hard for it and you're satisfied by it. Many people have invested early and often in their retirements and they have a diverse portfolio and retirement is something that they're looking forward to. Brothers, it's, it's having a job that they like or at least they like enough because it allows them to have a certain lifestyle that they enjoy. Brothers, maybe it's not so financially based. Maybe it's, it's just having good health, being strong, working hard to, to have good health and, and good strength. And this is something you're glad for. When you look in the mirror and you see the skin that you have, you're satisfied. For others, it's family and friends. You're thankful for the friends that you have and the family that you have, you would consider them to be people who are beautiful, people who are wonderful, people who are fun, people who are smart, people who are well-behaved. And maybe you might not say these things every single day or all at once, but most of the time, this is the family you have. These are the people that you have in your life. And yet here comes this lie that I am what I have. And you tell yourself because that you're really successful or you're at least doing all right financially, that you're successful in every area of your life. Or maybe you tell yourself that you have it all together. You have it all together in your family life. You have it all together in your health life and your work life. And so you think, I have my life together. But you see, there is a long-term and there's a short-term danger with this lie. 
The short-term danger with this lie is believing that in those moments where I'm riding high, where I actually have things and I think they're good things or I have a lot of things or I'm at least satisfied with the things I have, well, we let it define who we are because it doesn't just touch in the financial, relational, educational portions of our lives. We tell ourselves, because I'm doing all right financially, I'm, I'm doing all right as a person. Because I have my life together in the area of education or relation or health, I have my life together. And who of us would, would really say that all of the time? Even if you define yourself by what you have, we honestly know we, we don't have it all together all of the time. Christians, I'm talking to you because you do know you have this thing called sin. Sin affects every area of our life. It affects the way we relate to people and finances and health. It affects the way we relate to ourselves and our self-image. We have plenty of things in our life that we need to work on, that we need to repent of, and so we don't have it together all of the time. This is the short-term danger with this lie, but there's also a long-term danger. When you define yourself by what you have, what happens when you don't have it anymore? What happens when the savings isn't there? What happens when the retirement fund that you were so counting on gets hit by an economic crisis? What happens when the people in your life that you were so glad to have that so filled you up aren't there or aren't there for you? What happens when you get old, when you get sick, when your body isn't capable of having the functionality that you were always happy that it had? What happens when your education doesn't get you what you were hoping it would get you? Well, if you define yourself by what you have and then you have nothing or you have far less than what you used to, well, not only do you have nothing, you, you think you're nothing. And, and this is getting at the long-term danger of believing this lie. Because you see, we read about a man like this. He came from our gospel lesson in, in Luke 16 this morning. He defined himself by the things that he had in life. And when you define yourself, materially speaking, by accumulating a lot of things and you come to the end of your life and you have nothing there, what do you define yourself by spiritually? What are you left with spiritually? The answer is nothing. And so I'm gonna say this in the strongest possible terms. Do not believe this lie. Do not believe the lie that I am what I have. Do not believe it if you have lots of things and lots of good things. And don't believe it if you feel like you're struggling and, and you don't have the things that you want. Maybe for you, the number in your savings account is the biggest source of stress in your life. Maybe for you, it, it really happened. You worked hard to invest. You did it early and you did it often. But the global pandemic, the economic health crisis that you see impacted that and it's not there anymore. Or, or unforeseen things happened with your family or with your family's health. Maybe for you, it is your body. You get sick. 
you get injured. You're not able to do the things that you want anymore and your body image has a a negative self-image on your identity. Maybe for you, it's friends and family that are not here and you do not have them in the ways that you are used to. Here comes the lie. Here comes the lie that I am what I have. Because if you're looking at it financially or materially and you do not have anything, what does that say about you? Well, you tell yourself you're nothing. When you do not have it all together and the amount of stuff you've accumulated is insignificant, what do you tell yourself? I'm insignificant. And here again is a long-term and a short-term problem with this lie. It impacts even those who feel like they have not or really do have little. In the short term, this affects us because when we're at the lowest of our lows and the fact that we feel what we have is insignificant or not a lot and therefore we're small and insignificant and nothing, well, it affects the way we relate to ourselves and to the world. We say, if I, if I have nothing, then I am nothing. And I have nothing to offer my friends. I have nothing to offer my family. We drive ourselves into this cycle of despair and depression because we say, you know what? Because I'm a nobody, I'm not even worth anything to God. What's the point of joining together with other Christians when I have nothing to offer? What's the purpose of being a part of a church, being in the context of a Christian community where... People rely on one another when I have nothing to give. In the short term, what this does is it not only affects the way we think about ourselves, but it affects the way we relate to others. Because for, before long, we look at the purpose to which God has called us, the purpose for which God has equipped us. He has given you gift, and that's a sermon for an entirely different day. But when you tell yourself, I am nothing because I have nothing, well, then you do nothing and you feel like nothing. And you may even feel like I don't have a savior. I have nothing even as it relates to God. And here is the long-term danger of this. None of us would ever call our worry and our stress about material things a God. And yet when they consume you, when they fill your heart, what else have they become but a lowercase g, God. That is where our heart goes after. That is what our heart is consumed with. And what ends up happening is the poverty that we experience in this life, it extends into eternal life. So let me straight this in the strongest possible terms. Don't believe this lie. Don't believe the lie that you are what you have. Don't believe it if you have a lot. Don't believe it if you have a little. Don't believe it. But I keep saying that. I keep saying, don't believe that lie, but how do you defeat a lie? How do you debunk a lie, especially one that has been so essential in defining your existence? Well, there's only one way to defeat a lie. It's with the truth. And thank the Lord that that is what we have. In God's word, we have the truth. We have the truth not only about God and who he is, but we have the truth about who God has made us to be. 
In a nutshell, let me tell you this, that God's word, our sermon lesson for today is going to tell you that who you are is not defined by what you have materially, but it is defined by what you have spiritually, by what you have in Christ. St. Peter wrote the letter that we're gonna read a portion of yet again, and he wrote it to a group of Christians that are a lot like you and me. Christians that were suffering from persecution from the culture and the government to not live out their faith. Persecution from friends and family to keep their faith on the low, to keep it quiet. Persecution that made them look at their life and all of the things that they had worked hard for, their money, their home, their possession, their education, and think that if I'm going to be a Christian, I I guess I gotta say goodbye to all of this. But that's where God steps in. God steps in, he inspired Peter to write this message to him that says, no, you don't, you don't have to say goodbye to all that, but say hello to a new way of looking at all of the possessions that you have. It does not define who you are. Who you are is defined by what you have, by what you have in Christ. Because what you have in Christ is this, you have an eternal inheritance. You have protection from God's power and you have in him the joy of your salvation, an inexpressible joy. Let me break those three things down for you from 1 Peter chapter 1. This is what God's word says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a, get this, a living hope a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. In a very real sense, you are what you have. And what you have is an eternal inheritance, an eternal inheritance in heaven. Look, the central claim of Christianity is this, that you have been given something by Christ, that you have received something from Christ, and it's eternal. It is an eternal inheritance. It is called heaven, and it can never spade, spade, spoil, or perish. What you have is this, and this is why we have Christianity, is because Christians in the first century believed this. They believed that they were receiving this from God. They believed that they were heirs of this inheritance, and they told others about this. This is why Christianity exists today, because of this claim. And yet, when you think about this claim, it's, it's really kind of silly, Because really anybody could claim that if you follow me, if you believe me, if you do the things that I tell you, well, then I'm giving you eternal riches. You can't see it now, but you'll have it forever and always. It's kept for you in heaven. Really, the claims that Jesus made, they could have been made by a madman, a liar, or a trickster. But you see, Jesus didn't just make these claims He proved them to be true. And what we have in 1 Peter is the testimony of someone who saw the proof. Peter saw these things. Just think about this for a moment. Peter saw throughout Jesus' life him raise to life at least three people. Peter saw him feed 5,000 people with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. Peter watched Jesus during Holy Week as he was brought into Jerusalem with praise and acclamation 
but how he was turned over to his enemies, how he was tortured, how he was whipped, how he was beaten, how he was dragged out on a cross, put up and crucified. He saw Jesus die. He saw a spear go into his side. He saw Jesus go into a tomb. He saw a rock go over that tomb and get sealed up again. He saw strong guards stand outside and guard that tomb. Oh, and he was there. He was there on Easter morning because he saw that stone rolled away. He saw those same guards trembling in fear. He saw the angels. He saw Jesus' clothes, the linens there folded up, but he didn't see his Jesus and he didn't understand why. Oh, till a few hours later, where Jesus appeared to him, showed up to him and didn't show up as a ghost, but said, Peter, you really can touch me. You really can feel me and see that I am here. Here's proof. And then he talked to him for hours and hours. He showed himself to Peter again and again and 500 other people until there was no doubt about it that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Oh, this had an effect on Peter. In his other letter, Peter said this, We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And really, that's what the entire New Testament is. It is an eyewitness account of people who saw Jesus' resurrection. And why am I telling you about this this morning? Why does all of this proof matter? Because this is why your hope makes a difference. This is why the hope that you have matters. It is not some blind hope. It is not some empty hope. It is not some pious hope that you have, but it is a living hope because it came through the resurrection of your Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the resurrection, Jesus Christ proved that he really is the son of God. Because of the resurrection, Jesus proved that he really did have power over sin, death, and the devil. And it is because of his resurrection that you really do have an inheritance that can never fade, that can never spoil, that can never perish. And it's because of his resurrection that you are someone new, that you are given new birth as an heir of an inheritance that makes a difference. You have that. You have an inheritance and that makes you who you are. But it's not just that. It's not just that. First Peter goes on and it describes more about this inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, you may have to have suffered grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I need to say it, that the fact that you have an inheritance, that you are a dearly loved child of God, doesn't change the fact that you experience life in this world. You will still suffer trials and grief of many kind. Jesus told you this. Peter echoed this. In our life, let's just talk about materialism and having things financially and physically and relationally. We're affected by this. We experience those ups and downs. 
We experience the highs and lows. We experience great times when we have all the things that we want and low times when we don't. We experience the temptation to be proud and arrogant when we're on top. And we experience the temptation to feel depressed and despair when we're in our lows. We experience all of these things and yet you don't have to. You don't have to experience this. You don't have to experience the ups and downs. And why? Well, it's because of this. It is because through faith, you are shielded. You are protected. You are protected by God's power until the coming of the salvation. Though, for a little while now, you may have to suffer this. Look, maybe you've done this thought exercise before. If your house was burning and everything was going up in flames, what would you rush in to save? What would be one material thing that you would want to rush in and keep with you? Or maybe you've already answered this question because you've put all the important papers that you have in your house in a fire safe box. Maybe it's, it's not something that's maybe even worth all that much. Maybe it's something sentimental that, that means a whole lot to you that's irreplaceable. Maybe it's something technological, something that stores all the important passwords and information on one device. What would you rush in and save? You, you think about this and you go through this thought exercise and it's really true that, you know, anything that we have, well, it's either kept safe now already because we've backed it up in the cloud or it's covered by insurance. So let me ask you to think about it eternally. If you could rush into your house that was going up in flames and you could save one thing, one thing that would be with you forever and always in eternity, what would you rush in and save? Well, the truth is that there's, there's nothing. There's nothing in your life that you're gonna take with you into eternity that you're gonna have with you forever, except for yourself, except for your faith, except for your soul. I want you to think about the state of your soul, to think about the state and the well-being of your soul throughout this life. It is protected. Let me break this down for you. It is protected by this, by God's power until the coming of Jesus. Though you go through many kinds of trials and suffer all kinds of grief in your life, you don't ever have to worry about the highs and the low because Christ has you. Christ is protecting you. He is shielding you through all of this so that you're going to come through this life and all the fiery trials of this life. And you know what's going to be proven genuine? Your faith in Christ alone. The faith that you do keep with you throughout all eternity. This creates incredible joy. And this is how Peter wraps up this section. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me ask you this. How much are you worth? There's a whole lot of ways that you can determine that, but most of the time in this world, that's determined by a number. How much is in your bank account? How much are your investments and your homes and your cars and your property worth? 
Maybe it's even determined relationally by the number of friends and family that you have in your life. Maybe it's even determined physically by the number that's on the scale, but it always comes down to a number. It adds up to answering the question of how much you're worth. But all of this is so shallow because you know no matter how much you have, it'll never be enough. And you know no matter what you have, it won't always be with you. In the end, all of these things, they they won't be there forever. You can't take it with you. So how much are you worth? Well, praise God that he, he answers that question for us. And when he answers that question, he doesn't do so with a number, but he does it with an action. He says, you are worth this much. You are worth this much to me. God says, I have loved you so much that you are no longer defined by anything materially, but you are defined by everything spiritually that you have in me. And what you have in me is my perfect life. What you have in me is all my forgiveness, all of my joy, all of my eternal life given to you with God, your oneness with him, the joy with him, the optimism that you have in this life because of him. All of it is yours. What we're talking about is the salvation of your souls the salvation of your souls and a message about that, which is so good, so good that it will fill the poorest person with hope and confidence. It'll fill the richest person with modesty and humility and yet happiness. And it will fill every single person in this life, no matter what they go through, with an inexpressible joy. That is what you have. You have an inexpressible joy because you have the salvation of your souls. You have that. And in a very real sense, you are defined by that. You are what you have. And that is what you have in Christ. You know what that makes you? That makes you very, very rich. That makes you eternally, spiritually, indescribably wealthy because of what you have. Because of who you are, you are a dearly loved child of God. You are the most loved, dearly loved child of God. And it is all because of what you have. You have an eternal inheritance in him. You have in him protection that is by God's power. And you have a joy, a joy that is inexpressible. And it comes from the fact that you have your soul saved. It changes the way you think. And it changes the way you live. Because no matter if you have a lot or a little, let's say you have so much, well, you can live this life having so many things, whether it's materially or financially or relationally or educationally, and you feel this this cool detachment from it. It's not what defines you. Therefore, you can enjoy it and you can have it and you can never worry about whether it goes away or not because you know this isn't what makes you who you are. You can enjoy the wonderful Christian responsibility that you have to give away everything that you have generously to others in praise and glory and thanks to Christ. And you never have to worry about it running out because you know that you can't take it all with you anyways. Knowing this, knowing this truth, it changes the way you think about life, even if you have little, even if you're struggling financially, materially, educationally, relationally, because even if you don't have these things, even if you just have a few of them, you know you can survive on a little. How much stuff do you need to be loved by God? 
Let me ask it a different way. How much stuff do you need to tell other people that they are loved by God? Look, the greatest impact that you can have on people isn't by having a platform, isn't by having influence, isn't by having a lot of stuff. It's simply by living out your faith, living out your Christian faith, the gospel message to the people in the lives that are right near you. And you can do that from whatever tax bracket you're in. So Christian friends, here is my hope, here's my prayer for you, and I'm gonna state it in the strongest possible terms. You are not what you have materially, but you are what you have spiritually. And what you have is an inheritance in heaven. You have protection of God's power in this life and you have a joy inexpressible. So be who you are, be and enjoy what you have for what you have is great. What you have is glorious and everything that you have is in Christ. Amen.